We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual visits. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. In the hands of waiters, three seconds left for three. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, October 28th. Nick Whalen, uh, not joined by Alex Barusta today. I'm joined by James Anderson. James, uh, around this time, well, not this time of the year, but around this time in the NBA calendar every year, uh, you and I like to sit down and, and start talking NBA draft. Uh, really been thankful that you've been able to contribute to our draft coverage uh, over these last couple of weeks. You and I put up a draft Q&A, which you can find on rotowire.com. Uh, and more content from us will be coming. We'll have a mock draft that'll publish on Thursday morning. Uh, but we just wanted to go through and and talk about some of the topics that we discussed in that article and and go through some of the other players uh, projected to to go off the board in the first round uh, in exactly three weeks from now. So uh, again, James, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, as you said, this is not a normal time in the calendar for the NBA draft, but no, it is the, not. NBA, the NBA draft is always one of my favorite events and one of my favorite things to to prep for so uh happy to be on yeah it's it's been quite a whirlwind i mean normally the draft would have happened a good like three months ago four months ago you know late june um and you know for some teams that's meant more time to prep at the same time there was no combine there's been a limit in terms of you know visiting prospects 
uh, watching prospect work out. So uh, a draft that was already, I think, framed as one that was, you know, filled with as many unknowns as we've seen since like the Nerlens Noel draft. Uh, I, I think the pandemic has just kind of exacerbated that. Yeah, I think it's it's really going to come down to your, your scouting department and uh, whoever's making the decisions at the very top, uh, really having a, a good gauge of, of what they're doing. I, I think it's a, a draft where you can get some, some really good players kind of in the middle of the first round, uh, mid to late lottery particularly, but those prized picks that you typically have in a draft where it's the, the number one overall pick, um, the number two pick, number three pick, to me, this is about as weak as it gets uh, since the Anthony Bennett draft, where having that number one overall pick is not the big prize that it, that it is in most seasons. And I think the team with the number one overall pick, having it kind of makes it even, even trickier for them, uh, just given their roster. Um, but I do think there, there are tons of um, interesting players that have a chance to be uh, much better than people uh, expect in, in a year or two. But those guys are the ones that are going to go in the middle of the round, middle of the first round. Right. I think that's an accurate way to portray this draft, because I, I think in general, it's been it's been talked about for well over a calendar year now as as a quote unquote bad draft. And I, I think the more you dig into it, I, I wouldn't say it's a bad draft by any means. I, I think it's. Like you said, it, most drafts are characterized by who goes number one, who goes number two, who goes number three. And when there's not a clear hierarchy, when there's not a Zion Williamson, when there's not an Anthony Davis or a Carl Towns sitting at the top, uh, it, it creates a lot of uncertainty. But uh, I mean, how do you feel about that characterization overall, that this is going to be a down draft? You know, when we look back in three or five years, do you think this will compare more to that 2013 draft or it'll be one where we look back and say, all right, we didn't think it would be that great, but you know, look at all these productive uh, starters that this draft produced. Uh, I think there are going to be some big busts up top. Like I, I think, um, like Anthony Edwards, for instance, I think is is going to be just a straight up bust, and he might go number one overall. Uh, and I think there will be another bust or two in the first five picks. But that's actually not that rare. Uh, the first overall pick being a bust is is pretty rare, but. Um, usually if you look back at the top five of a lot of drafts, there are more busts than people would like to admit, but I think you can kind of go in with, with clear vision on this one and, and sort of see those busts coming a little bit more. Um, I do think that, that a couple of the guys that might go in the top three or four are going to be really good players in the NBA for a long time. Um, but it is one of those drafts where, yeah, maybe, maybe the best player gets taken with the 12th pick or something like that. I mean, I think that definitely could happen. I think it's interesting to contrast it. And I brought this up to you yesterday, you know, to that 2017 draft that, you know, we we were talking leading up to that one. Everybody was considering that maybe the best draft since the LeBron draft, one, you know, the best draft since 96 in terms of the depth. And you look now, you know, we're, we're three years in for those guys. And if you sort by by value over replacement on basketball reference, the top five were picks 13, 3, 14, 22 and 19. You know, I, I think that was one where you felt really good about any of the players taken in the top six. Fultz, Ball, Tatum, Jackson, Fox, or Isaac. And even Markkanen at seven. Even Nilakina at eight. You know, pe people were in on him. Like, that was a draft where you were you were happy to have the fifth or sixth pick. Um, and really, you know, of that group, only Tatum, I think, has turned into what we thought he could so far. Fox is probably on that trajectory. Isaac looked good before the injury. But, I mean, three of those top four picks, Fultz, Ball, and Jackson— 
as of now, I think relative to where they were drafted have to be considered busts. Yeah, for sure. I think that they're, you know, I don't think there's going to be a player from this draft that's as good as Jason Tatum, but Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, I don't think the highs necessarily line up with that class. I think there could still be some good players in the top five, but I think the lows from that, that class, uh, you could definitely see those uh, replicated in this one. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we jump into, you know, looking at, at some of the questions and some of the prospects individually for this draft, I want to touch on the news that just broke uh, right before we, we hit record. The 76ers uh, are about to hire Daryl Morey, uh, reportedly a five-year deal to become their president of basketball ops. Elton Brand will apparently stay on as the GM. Uh, I would I would think this is a move to basically limit the control that Elton Brand has now in personnel decisions. Yeah, I think his control was already kind of limited. It, it definitely seemed like ownership had their hands on a lot of the decisions that they'd been making. Um, but, you know, to me, it's just really exciting that we have uh, calling the shots in there who maybe looks to trade one of Simmons or Embiid. You know, I don't, I don't think Elton Brand was ever going to have the power to, to make a, a move like that. Um, but I, I definitely think Maury would have the ability to do that um apologize for the train uh, it's it's passing my apartment at the moment but um, the josh jackson express coming through <laughs> yeah but i i definitely think it's it's really going to be fun to see what boy does with that roster because it i don't think Embiid and simmons fit at all i mean i, I don't think that's going out on a limb they have had success before together um but i mean there's just there's so many big picture decisions and high leverage decisions that need to be made with that roster. Um, you know, what do you do with Al Horford? Can you possibly get off of Tobias Harris without giving up an asset? Um, you know, do you try to split up Embiid and Simmons? You know, there's just so many different ways that someone like Maury could go with that. Uh, I'm really excited to see what he does. Right. I, I think you're right in that. If you bring Daryl Morey in, you basically have to let him be Daryl Morey, right? You can't say, all right, we're bringing you in, and you know, if you want to trade one of these guys, yeah, we're, we're not sure we want, we want you to do that. Like, if, if they were going to play that way, I think you just keep things as is. You let, you know, you kind of let Elton Brad maybe serve as this more figurehead type of guy in that organization. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting, though. I mean, if you're them, does, does this worry you? If you're Embiid or Simmons seeing that, that news, which of those two do you think is more likely to potentially be out the door? Uh, man, I mean, I, I think it might almost come down to um, what the options are. I mean, I think you could the, – the tough thing about Embiid is you just don't know how he's going to hold up physically and what state he's going to be in physically whenever the playoffs are all around each year. And if you are going to keep him, like you kind of are going to live and die based on his uh, medical uh, availability at the end of the season. Uh, whereas I think Simmons, to me, that that's almost kind of the more fun team to try to build is a team where it's just Ben Simmons and four shooters at all times. Like that, that would be a pretty fun roster to build. The problem is you know, as we've touched on and others have touched on this roster, uh, just from a 
uh, salary cap and, and contracts and, and money owed standpoint is in a really tough spot because you have basically two negative value contracts that are close to the max in Al Horford and Tobias Harris. And so whether you want to choose to build around Embiid or choose to build around Simmons, you still have to deal with the fact that you have those two albatrosses on your books and you have to try to find a way to either flip those guys or salvage their value in some way. I mean, it's just, it's such a huge undertaking. It's not as simple as just saying, well, we're going to build around Embiid. We're going to build around Simmons. You, you have to deal with those Harris and, and Horford contracts. And uh, they, they don't really have a ton of assets. Like, I've I've heard Zaire Smith floated as a guy that they could you dangle to get off of Harris. I mean, Zaire Smith might be a negative value contract at this point. So they they really it, it's going to take kind of a a miracle. Like it's going to take a really good general manager to maneuver these these waters and try to figure out how to put a winner uh, together with their constraints. All right, let's get to the 2020 draft. And, and like I said, we'll use our, our, our piece that's up on the site, the Q&A, uh, as a framework for our discussion. The first question that we asked was, you know, if you're the GM of the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are you taking at number one? Not, not who do you and I think um, you know, should go number one. If you're the GM of the Timberwolves, you're looking at that roster. Who are you zeroing in on? So to me, it just has to be the best player available who's not a center and to me that's Lamella ball like I, I think Lamella ball and James Wiseman are the two best players in the draft um I don't even think you want to entertain the idea of pairing Wiseman and Towns especially when you're really not sure what you have in your coach uh like that's that's a lot to ask of any coach to try to pair those two so I think you got to go with the best player available who's not a center and to me that's a Lamella ball uh, I do not view D'Angelo Russell as a primary ball handler on a good team. I think he's got uh, some some abilities as a, as a spot-up shooter. He's a good passer. Uh, but I'm not looking at him as some sort of uh, roadblock uh, to bringing in a, a primary ball handler. So I, I would take Lamelo Ball. I think that he uh, is, his passing ability is probably the strongest skill of, of any of the players in this draft. Um, mm-hmm. and he could be one of the best passers in the NBA in a couple of years. I mean, he probably would come into the league as a top 10 passer right away. Uh, so pairing him with Towns to me is really appealing. The big question with ball is just the shot and um, the shot selection. I think those are kind of the two things I, I'm not worried about this. There's, there's still these people that try to bring up like the, the ball family as this big distraction that, that you should shy away from Lamelo ball. I mean, to me, Lonzo ball, has kind of emerged from that. And I, I just don't really see why if you're Minnesota bringing LaMelo ball in, you think that all of a sudden the bar ball is going to be calling the shots. Like to me, that's just kind of a non-issue at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really just, do you think LaMelo ball is going to be a capable three point shooter? Um, and even if you only think that's like a 50, 50 proposition, if he, if he can get there, then all of a sudden you have a, a star uh, because of his passing ability, because of his ball handling. Um, so pairing that with the shooting of Towns and Russell and some of the other guys on that roster is, it's not necessarily, it's not a good spot to be in. Like having the number one overall pick is usually a great spot to be in. This is not an easy spot. Um, but I think that LaMelo Ball is kind of the best of, of some flawed decisions. So I think that's particularly the case for Minnesota. You know, if, if it's Cleveland at number one or Detroit at number one, I, I think you have 
a little bit more leeway to pick and you know you don't necessarily have to worry about fitting someone with someone else like you're talking with towns i i think if i'm the gm of the timberwolves i'm trying to trade this pick if i can and and obviously the market for the number one pick in 2020 is not anywhere near what the market would have been for the the number one pick a year ago which was probably about as high a price as you'd have had to pay since since 2003 um i just you have you have two guys on your roster who are already all-stars in towns and russell the timberwolves are not a good team by any means but they're also not quite as bad as most teams that pick number one the cupboard isn't quite as bare on that roster i if, if i was able to flip that for for more of a win now piece I, I think i would uh you, you know you can kind of quibble about how realistic it is that all those sudden towns and russell are this great duo you know neither of those guys play defense neither of them have really won anything uh, on their own team. So I, I, I'm not saying Minnesota is like one piece away from all of a sudden competing, but I, I just think, you, you know, you're bringing in an, an 18 or a 19 year old guard in, in LaMelo ball, even if it works out and works well, you know, he's, he's probably not a winning player right away. I, I think there's a, a, a pretty good chance that he comes has some struggles, much like Trey young did uh, earlier in the first half of his rookie season. I think there's a good chance it goes that way. You know, Minnesota. Carl Towns is young. D'Angelo Russell is young, but they're not. They're not that young. And I, I think if you can find a way to accelerate this rebuild without making this pick in this draft, um, I, I would do that. I just I don't know how realistic it is for Minnesota to get the value that you would want from trading the number one pick. Yeah, I just I don't think it's there. I don't think the demand is really there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and if if all you're getting back is is a future pick. Uh, to move down a few spots, you know, maybe you do it. If if the number one player on your board is someone you think is going to be there uh, lower down in the draft, you want to trade down, that's fine. But to me, ball is the best player available. You're not going to get him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, maybe you trade down to three, you can get ball, but it, it, it doesn't sound like they're on ball really at all. So I expect them to make a mistake here and take Anthony Edwards, which I think would really um, just be kind of a, a a disaster really from a a culture standpoint but um that's kind of the way i see it going well let's talk about edwards i you know in my write-up for for that first question i i kind of took a cop-out answer and and said yeah lamello makes some sense uh i i think edwards is the guy with the highest upside uh between those two but i also think and lamello ball has some pretty significant downside as well so this is saying a lot i think his downside is even lower than lamello balls you know i you you watch when you watch a highlight video of Anthony Edwards, like you can see the Donovan Mitchell comparison. You can see the Victor Oladipo comparison, the the super poor man's Dwayne Wade comparison. But it's also really easy to see him being like Emmanuel Moutier or Ben McLemore or, you know, Josh Jackson, you know, player X who had a lot of highlights. And when you when you kind of stack it up, had even more lowlights or had games where he just disappeared. Um, that's kind of the story on Edwards at Georgia. You know, guys who he did average almost 20 points a game, but you know, guys who are basically giving you like two assists, not great rebounding numbers, not great defensive numbers. That light usually doesn't just come on when you get to the NBA. You know, usually the assist numbers are there in high school. They're there at the college level. They translate to the NBA level. You don't usually just become a great passer all of a sudden. Um, I, I do worry that there's significant Deion waiters type of potential with Anthony Edwards. Yeah. Um, I just, I think that there's, he's not he's not the same type of player as uh rj barrett but i'm down on him for a lot of the same reasons where i think he sort of needs to be kind of a focal point um 
like in that type of role, like I just don't think he's cut out to be a supporting uh, player, but I don't think he's good enough to be uh, the focal point. Like, I I don't think he is going to make his teammates better. I know he's got the tools to be a good defender. I don't think he's going to put those to use. There's no evidence of that. Um, I don't think he's a heady player. I just, I think he's one of those guys that's going to have a a Wiggins type of career at best. Um, And just someone where it's tough when you use that type of a a resource to take a player like that, you have to give them so many chances and it just, it's not something I want any part of. Like I wouldn't take him in the top five. Uh, I probably wouldn't take him in the top seven. I I just think he's an extremely high likelihood of busting. So um, I I understand why I think they're going to talk themselves into it because uh, those flashes he does show, and I think it's the easiest fit on paper with their current roster, but I just think it's going to be a big mistake. Mm-hmm. I think he's the guy in this draft where there's he's shown just enough flashes where if you're a front office, you're like, we're not even talking ourselves into him so much as we're talking ourselves into the possibility of we don't want to be the team that passed on this guy if the 5% chance that he turns into a star actually happens. Yeah, I mean... To me, those guys are mellow and Wiseman. Like those are the ones where I would be worried about it looking bad that I passed on them. Um, yeah. I, I really just don't see that ceiling there with Edwards. I know that the physical physical ability is there. I just don't think the rest of it's there. So you're coming around on Wiseman? Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, there's a, a really high floor there um, because of the size and athleticism. And just the defense, like he's going to be at worst a a very solid defensive center who can finish lobs on offense. But I think there's there's room for more there. Um, it's just you know in in this draft class, he's the piece that stands out as like he's not like the rest of the players, right? Like um, I know there are people that like Onyeka Kangu more than him. I I don't really get that at all. Um, I think Wiseman's just so much bigger, um, so much more dynamic to me. I mean, he he's a guy that I could see in like three or four years being able to stretch out to three. Um, I think that if he gets brought into the right environment, he's going to develop into just an absolute stud on defense. And he's he's got crazy um, athleticism and size, even by NBA standards. Like he's just going to be able to overpower um guys who you know in the nba are seen as big athletic players he's going to be able to overpower them so um especially if he gets to golden state and gets to develop uh, as being sort of the fourth or fifth option as a rookie and even as a second year player i think that's going to be so good for his development and just by possibly landing in golden state like i think the bust potential is almost zero and so with a guy that's that big that athletic Mm -hmm. Uh, in a class that's this sort of weak and watered down, um, I think he's he's pretty appealing. So the Golden State factor is extremely interesting. I think that's the most interesting thing about this draft uh, as, as we're about three weeks away. Do you believe the same thing for Ball or Edwards or Adija, whoever ends up in Golden State? That's the best scenario for any of these top guys in terms of limiting that bus potential? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's... it's uh, it's a lot tougher to be a bust, uh, have to earn your playing time. Right. Um, and I think that that's, that's a key factor there. I mean, I'm very, I, I'd, I'd be you know, really interested in, in LaMelo going there. I don't think that that's what they're going to do at all. Um, but just 
I mean, you add another playmaker like that, another guy with that type of basketball mm-hmm. IQ, I think that could be really, really fun. Um, and I think he would obviously develop uh, incredibly well, uh, not happen to be the guy from mm-hmm. day one or even a, even as a second-year player. Um, Edwards, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't really think he's salvageable in any situation. Um, and I'm, I'm much lower on Avdia, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think I think the Warriors is the perfect landing spot for pretty much every one of these top prospects. I mean, I do struggle sometimes with like with Edwards. I, I think you're right that he either has to be a star or a complete bust. Like it, it's impossible to imagine him just like settling into this you know third guy role. Like his type of game, he has to dominate the ball. And it's the same reason that Deion Waiters, once it was clear that he wasn't going to be the man in Cleveland, he was out of the rotation because he couldn't offer anything else. I, I do I do struggle though. It's like if if you want him to become a star, going to a team like Golden State maybe hinders that a little bit. Um, you know, some of these guys like that have that, that have turned into stars have benefited from just being the man on a terrible team for a couple of years. And you wonder, you know, like if LeBron doesn't have that early on, you know, mellow weight, guys like that who are just kind of handed the keys to a bad team. It's like, do you develop those star habits without that? But in a class like this where none of these guys are viewed as a sure thing whatsoever. You know, like I don't, I don't think you'd want Zion Williamson or John Morant necessarily going to Golden State last year. I think there's, it, it, I don't think John Morant has the same year he does being the sixth or seventh man for the Warriors as opposed to being the guy for Memphis. But with all these guys having such question marks, I, I could not think of a better place. And we're talking point guards, off guards, centers, forwards. Like it, it really doesn't matter even the position. Like just getting into that system and getting into that culture, I think would be huge for, for any one of these guys. And honestly, I think Edwards the most, I, I, I wouldn't say he's unsalvageable. I, I think he has the highest bust potential of those guys, but he's the one who I think could learn the most and then probably end up, you know, like you said, riding the bench or having to earn his minutes. Um, I, I think th- there's a chance with him, like I said, that he does become a star if he, if he gets to go somewhere where he's handed the keys. But I, I think almost having like a, a gap year where he can just kind of chill out and, and learn on a good team would be best for him. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it would be best for him to just be in a uh, situation where he's just going to get told that that, you know, you can't do that just a ton. Like if, right. if he gets drafted by the Hornets um, or even Not the Timberwolves, good. who's going to tell him that he has to play defense or who's going to tell right. him, like, you can't take that shot. I mean, there's just not anyone there to tell him that. Exactly. I don't even I, I think he might um, not respond well to that type of feedback in golden state so i I wouldn't even have very high hopes um for that setting but i I definitely think if he goes to a bad team and is not really coached that hard i just don't really see it working out support for this podcast comes from wild turkey kentucky straight bourbon whiskey let's tune in to their one-on-one with jamal a real bartender from old fourth ward in atlanta i really get into the backstory of whatever i'm pouring out of respect there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. All right, so if you're looking at, you know, that probably 5 to 10 range, you know, be- below where, we're, where the guys we've talked about are probably going to go. Uh, and if you're looking for a guard, do you side with Killian Hayes or Tyrese Halliburton? It's, you know, it's, it's really, really close. Um, and I think for teams like teams like the Pistons, maybe um, I might side Hayes. Like if you're just multiple years away, really, and you're just 
the the future of, of winning is so far off. Um, I might take K's and, and kind of gamble that he can be that primary ball handler and a guy that can shoot off the dribble and, and set people up. Um, but for most teams, I think I would go Halliburton. I think he just, he checks a lot of boxes that are important to me. He's a good shooter. He's a good passer. He's smart. He defends. He can defend multiple positions. Like you're starting to really kind of get a lot of checks that are important to me. Uh, I don't see a star, but I see a guy that continues to improve his game every year. And, you know, maybe we're looking up in, in a couple of years and he's kind of like a, a fringe all-star and everyone's sort of surprised by how far he's come as a player. I guess I could see that happening. And I think he's easier to fit into most teams. He's listed as a point guard. I don't really think, ideally, I don't think he's your primary ball handler, especially if you have aspirations of going deep into the playoffs, but he could be a really, really good secondary ball handler, a player that mm-hmm. can play well off the ball. I think his, his spot up shooting uh, could be valuable there. And just, just because a guy's not your primary ball handler, if they're still a really good passer, that's going to help your offense. Like if you're, if you're shooting yeah. guard or your small forwards, a really good passer, that's, that's not a bad thing. Um, so I think he's, he's really easy to fit in, but for those teams that uh, really have kind of a, a bleak outlook, maybe I would roll the dice on Hayes. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I think Hal Burton is more of a sure thing and you know, he, he's not a lock. He, he played basically a year and a half of college basketball, but was really, really impressive in both of those years. And I think he partially suffers from not being as, as highly ranked as some of these guys coming out of high school. You know, like if, if Halliburton was the number three overall prospect in his class and played as well as he did at Iowa state, he would be in the conversation to go number one. But I think there's still this kind of catching up of his stock where, you know, he wasn't this, uh, you know, five-star prospect coming out of high school. And I think there's still kind of a prove it thing with him. Um, but I, I love what I saw at Iowa state with Halliburton. I do think he can be a primary ball handler in that he will function as a point guard. I I think ideally, though, he's not the guy who's leading your offense in the fourth quarter of a playoff game. You know, I I think he's a guy that that's kind of a a Ricky Rubio type or a Goran Dragic type to me where he can he can run your offense during the game. But when push comes to shove, you know, you're handing it off to to Jimmy Butler or Devin Booker late in the game. Like, I I don't think he's ever the guy that you're just saying, go get us a basket. Sure, sure. Um. Yeah, like kind of a Eric Bledsoe. Um, yeah, oh. I, I get I get what you're saying for sure. I mean, like, yeah, you don't you can't go into mm-hmm. a, a playoffs with him as your as your crunch time uh, shot yeah. creator. Great, but in this draft, you, you're just not reading the class very well if you think that player exists in this draft outside of the first couple of picks. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's spot on. I'm coming around on Hayes. You know, I I watched a lot of tape on him the last couple of days and. You know, a lot of the, the lists that you see, you know, a lot of the minuses with him are like, you know, not a great athlete. I, I don't think he's that bad of an athlete. I don't know. He was, he's not Russell Westbrook at the point guard position, but he's also, he's not Andre Miller. Yeah, he's developing very quickly. So I think it kind of depends what tape you're looking at in terms of how athletic he looks. Like the if you're looking at stuff from, like over a year ago, I don't think he looks very athletic by NBA point guard standards, but I think he's worked on that. Um, you know, I mean, NBA point guards are typically really, really athletic. I don't think he's in that that sort of top tier of athleticism at the position. Um, but he, I think he could be kind of a 
middle of the pack athlete for a point guard. Uh, it's it's to me it's just it's what is the what's the three point shot in, in a year or two like is is he going to be a like thirty five percent shooter from three or a forty percent shooter from three? Uh, like that's that's just such a huge skill for him um, because he doesn't have that crazy burst that that crazy athleticism. Uh, he's gonna have to keep people honest with the three, and there's just there's limited uh, there's a limited sample size of him of him shooting from for a high percentage from three against strong competition. So I think that's a question mark for him. Obviously, the inability to go right is something that everyone talks about with him. I mean, he's just extremely left-handed dominant. I think that that's something he can get better at. It'll probably always be uh, part of his game, but. Um, that doesn't concern me a ton long term, um, just given how young he is. But the shot, yeah, I mean, you really have to believe in him being a, a high end three point shooter, I think, to, to consider him in the top five. If you're the Cavs sitting at number five, would you be willing to take either of those guys having drafted a guard, you know, high in the lottery in each of the last two drafts? Well, am I the general manager who just selected Colin Sexton and Darius Garland or am I like, like is this a how hypothetical are we getting here because I, I think if I just selected those two point guards in back-to-back drafts I'm probably not going to take another guard there because that might mm-hmm. seal my fate um, but maybe you think you're getting fired either way if you don't draft a star there at any position but yeah um, I wouldn't be worried about drafting over those two guys like I, I don't think either of them have either. shown enough um, to be considered a long-term starter for a good team but if i did just draft those guys i'm probably looking uh, for someone that compliments them um, rather than someone that's going to play over them all right so let's get away from from some of the names that we've already talked about we have not touched on denny Abdija very much who usually lingers around the three to five range depending on what mock draft or what set of rankings you're looking at uh, I, I know you you've kind of fallen off on Abdija. Uh, since you started really digging in on him these last couple of weeks. Yeah, I just, I don't, I think people are getting, um, you look at this class, and I think people are like looking for a prospect that they can sort of fall in love with. Um, and I, I think he's an overrated passer and I don't believe in the three point shot being a weapon for him. Like, I, I think he makes good NBA caliber passes for, a a forward that's his size but i don't see him uh passing guys open i I see him just making good reads and and that type of thing um so like i I think he's kind of like a joe ingles caliber passer which is fine um but i don't think he's that caliber shooter i do think he's a bit underrated as a ball handler and as a finisher like i think he's he's often able to beat his man and and finish um in, in tough situations around the basket. Uh, but a lot of that was coming against pretty mediocre competition. Um, I just, I think it's tough for me to buy the three point shot. You look at the free throw percentage, you look at even, even if you're looking at a, a highlight package of his, where you're supposed to get pumped up about him, most of his made threes are kind of rattling around the rim. Like, He's not just wet on his three on these, these yeah. highlight packages. I, I just don't really buy him being more than like a 32, 33% three-point shooter. And 
I think he can be a capable um, distributor for his position, but I don't think it's it's a special skill. And defensively, I think there are going to be issues, not not effort-wise, but I don't think he's going to be an above-average defender. Um, so to me, he's just kind of a, a rotation player. I, I don't view him as a, a starter on a good team, so I would not be considering him where he's uh, projected to go. Yeah, I could see him playing out a lot like Saric, where the the good moments are really good, but on the whole, you know, just kind of ends up being your like sixth or seventh best player, which is fine. But ideally, you're not taking that guy with the third overall pick. Um, and, and the passing, I mean, it, it is impressive. And a, a lot, granted, a lot of what we're seeing are, are just highlight passes. Um, but if you're not really running things through that guy, I just don't know how impactful that ultimately is. You know, if he's a lot, of, he's going to spend a lot of time, especially early on, probably just spotting up. You know, he's really not even that great of a shooter right now. You know, how many opportunities is he really going to have to showcase that passing ability in a manner that it really affects the game? You know, I just, I think if, if you're handing, like he did a lot of playmaking, obviously for Maccabi, you know, being one of, one of their best showcase players, but I just don't know if he ever, you know, barring some rapid development, I, I don't know at what point in the NBA you're ever really going to be looking at this guy and he's, he's averaging like six assists a game. You know, the, the passing is nice, but when is he really going to use it? Right. And he would have to like, for all of it to click, like he, he has to be a guy that you have to respect his, his three point shot. Uh, right. Otherwise you're just going to, Whenever he has the ball, you're just gonna let him shoot. And yeah, uh, I just I don't see it coming. He's like he's the type of guy where in transition he's gonna make the right read, the right pass. He's gonna hit those hit ahead passes and stuff like that. Um, you know, even if he gets the ball in the lane, he might might drop it to a guy cutting to the rim, that type of thing. But it's just it's not a thing where I think his usage is gonna be high enough for his ability to to pass to be this mm. this one trait where you're like, oh, we got to get that guy. So we haven't even mentioned Obi Toppin yet. Uh, speaking of players who've been linked to to the Cavaliers, Abdija and, and Toppin are, are two names that you're starting to hear uh, increasingly linked to the Cavaliers. I, I can't help but be in on Obi Toppin. He was my favorite player in college basketball last year. He threw down two between-the-legs dunks, two, over the course of the season. That was enough. I, I didn't need to see anything else. Um, that, that sealed it for me. I love the Amari Stoudemire comp with him. I I really do think he reminds me a ton of Amari Stoudemire. Amari was never a great defender, but I think Amari was a better defender than Obi Toppin. Uh, the the biggest mark maybe against him in terms of looking at his upsides, he turns 23 in March. So, you know, basically early on next season, he's going to be a 23-year-old rookie. And I, I really, really like him as a possibility for Atlanta at six for you know, if he were to fall to Washington or Phoenix at nine or 10, I like him for, for Chicago, maybe not at four, but if Chicago were to trade down, I think he's a fit. I would not want Obi Toppin on my roster if I'm the Cavaliers or the Pistons, because even if everything does break right with him, by the time those teams are turned around, I mean, Obi Toppin might be 28 years old and all of a sudden you, know, you kind of have this imbalance in ages. So I don't know. I, I think asking him to come in and be the man for a bad team would not end well. I think if you're the Hawks or the Bulls and you want him to just kind of be a, a high-end role player for you, I, I think that's where he finds success in the NBA. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm not really that interested in him, uh, especially if I'm a team picking in the, the top 10, um, because defensively, I, I think he could end up being one of the worst defensive bigs in the league because um he's not 
he's not big enough or tough enough to hang with fives, I don't think. And I just think he would get his ankles broken um, pretty regularly playing out on the perimeter. Uh, not doesn't have the lateral quickness to check fours in the NBA to me. So um, if you draft him, then all of a sudden you've got that problem where you have to worry about who your other big man is, who are you pairing with him? Can they help um, cover up for his weaknesses on the defensive end? I think there is some, some intriguing offensive upside given the uh, ability to finish lobs. I, I buy him being able to stretch into the corners. I don't really buy him being a guy that you're ever worried about taking a shot above the break. Um, but if it's just kind of this lob finisher who hits open corner threes, but who just gets torn apart on the defensive end, that's just not a very appealing piece to build with to me. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at a wing over him, even if it's just a wing that is going to be a three and D guy, I would just much rather get one of those guys into my system and maybe he's only my sixth man, but he's easy to fit in. I don't have to worry about the rest of my roster with a three and D wing. Whereas with Obi Toppin, you know, what if he's only your backup power forward because of the defense? And then in like three or four years, he loses some athleticism mm. uh, and maybe he's only like a 34% three point shooter. I mean, is that guy even playable in a playoff series? Like, so I, I'm, I'm kind of out on him, uh, especially in the range he's supposed to go. I know that what he did in, at Dayton was really impressive, but um as I, as I mentioned in that article we did, he kind of gives me some Derek Williams vibes, um, which... On, you can't, you you can't know, be saying not, things like, that's just reckless. Not ideal. I mean, Derek Williams shot threes at a high clip. Um, he sure did. The year he came out, and then he was pretty athletic uh, yeah. in college, too. That's the thing with Toppin. Like, the, the efficiency numbers are almost, they're, like, suspiciously good. You know, where it's like, he's not going to he's not gonna shoot 66% from the field and hit 50% of his threes uh yeah which i think he did is his first year at dayton he was closer to 40 percent last year but the the problem is he has to be hitting those benchmarks on offense or he is going to be a minus so i'm with you on that you know if he's not this ultra efficient scorer you know you're going to end up losing the minutes that he's on the court there's definitely a chance that he turns into like the forward version of venus Cantor. yeah oh yeah uh, i mean at least well <laughs> yeah i mean I, I get where you're going with that for sure <laughs> Right, because anytime Cantor gets in, it's like, yeah, he'll, you know, when he meet, when two centers are hurt and Enos Cantor needs to start for the Knicks or the Celtics, he gives you like sixteen and eleven every time. Yeah, but you're yeah, probably gonna lose the game. He's the type of guy where the points will match his his negative, like in the plus minus column. Right. Like he'll he'll score twelve points but be minus twelve in yes. eighteen minutes. Right, <laughs> exactly. All right, let's get into some of the wings in this draft. This is this is, I think, you know, parsing between Isaac Okoro and Sadiq Bay and Preston Achiwa and Aaron Nesmith. Um, there's just so many guys who profile as, I think, really good role players, guys who could be, you know, the fourth best player on a good team down the road. Um, and choosing between them, I think, is going to be really difficult. And and a lot, I like a lot of them. It's it's hard to poke holes in a lot of these guys because they're almost being developed as role players at the college level, if that makes sense. Like despite some of these guys being the best player on their college team, you know, you watch the film and for the most part, you know, these guys already look like they could just be plugged in and play the two or a three for, for an NBA team. But we'll start with Isaac Okoro at Auburn, who's, who's typically ranked highest uh, among these guys. The tape is impressive with him. Um, I mean, he's the one guy that you worry about shooting. Uh, a lot of these other wings are, are really, really high efficiency 
three-point shooters at the college level. He was sub-30%. That's obviously a big concern. But from an athleticism perspective, I mean, he is huge. He's powerful on both ends. He's super physical. Uh, and, and the type of player that that produced a ton of, like, wow, highlight type of plays, which isn't always the case at, at the college level. And I, I was really impressed with him athletically. But he is one of those guys that if he, no matter what he's doing, if he's going to be a 29% three-point shooter, it would kind of cancel everything out. Yeah, uh, I I do not think he should go in the top uh, ten because of the three point shot. I just think it's incredibly broken. Like it's it's got such a long way to go for it to even be something he would be attempting in games. Um, that that just that puts a cap obviously on a guy's ceiling. But he does pretty much everything else you'd want him to do. So it's he's just a really tough guy to evaluate. Like I don't think he's going to be able to shoot, but I think he's going to be able to do everything else. Does that keep him on the floor? I mean, does Marcus Smart, who just can't shoot threes at all, like that? that's kind of the player that I think he could become. And I think that that's a player who could help certain teams win games in the regular season. He's going to be able to score on broken plays and transition. He's going to be able to score off of cuts, off of lobs. There's going to be ways that he gets his points. Um, but you know, you get into the playoffs and yeah, he can check a lot of the best guards and wings in the league, but no one's going to guard him. Like that's a player that should go in the lottery, but I don't think he should go in the top half of the lottery. Yeah. You're, you're asking a lot to, to improve that three point shot. And you know, the Marcus smart comp is good. Obviously they're, they're completely different types of players. Like smart was a true point guard at the college level at Oklahoma state. And, and, was basically forced off the ball uh, in the NBA, partially because of that shot. I mean, Okoro goes 6'6", 6'9", wingspan, 225. He, he looks even bigger than that. I mean, he has a perfect NBA defensive-minded wing type of body, but there's just a lot of work to do on that shot. You know, it's not like he was inconsistent. It was just completely a non-factor. Yeah, I, I compare him to Smart because Smart plays bigger than he is obviously like i think both yeah. those guys can can legitimately check one through four in most cases and mm-hmm. i think that smarts intangibles like all the the hustle plays all that all that type of stuff i think okoro has a lot of that so i think like he's a guy you want in your locker room uh yeah i just from watching the the shot i mean i just i have really zero faith in it coming around uh, i know that people throw out the like jimmy butler things i mean if you know, I mean, I don't think you should. Jimmy Butler is one of those guys that's tough to cop players to because guys yeah. just almost never get that much better in like right. a year over year type of thing. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think he's he's a good, exciting uh, defensive player, good athlete. Um, but again, I mean, this this draft, like you don't want to be the one that takes Isaac Okoro with the fifth pick. Um, you'd, you'd rather be taking Aaron Neesmith with the 12th pick in this draft. I will say that the saving grace with him is that he's not like Stanley Johnson or Shabazz Muhammad. He has like the same body as those guys, but he's not trying to be the man at Auburn. Like he's not a good three point shooter and he knows it, you know, he's not chucking up five a game. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that, that's why, like if, if I thought he had an Anthony Edwards type of mindset, I wouldn't want him at all. (laughs) Um, I I think he's got the right mindset. I just don't think uh, the shot's there. Uh, Let's go to the Florida state guys, Devin Vassell, Patrick Williams, uh, which, which of these two do you like more? Originally, I liked Vassell more, uh, but I, I, I think I flipped them. Um, you know, Williams, 
I'd buy the so they're both sort of well Vassell sort of gets the three and D rep. I think the D is gonna kind of be there. Like I just I don't think he's like a McCall Bridges level defender. I think he's just a guy that yeah, he can guard some threes, he can guard some twos, like he's not gonna get embarrassed, but I don't really view him as the shutdown defender despite the length he has. And then the free throw percentage and the shot form are a little concerning. Like he has to be kind of like a 40% three point shooter to really make this whole thing work. And I'm not as confident as I would need to be in that to take him in the top 10. Uh, Williams, I think actually has a prettier shot. It's hasn't been tested as much in games as Vassell's has, but I think Williams like three, four years from now, we'll, we'll be shooting for a higher percentage from three. And then his length, like he's got that body where he could maybe be able to check uh, LeBron's and Kawhi's and Paul George's, like that that caliber of, of NBA wing. Like he has the defensive potential to become that type of player. Um, probably too raw to expect that out of him as a rookie or even as a, as a sophomore. Like I think he's kind of three years away from being um, the type of guy you want him to be, but uh, there's a lot of upside there. Yeah, Williams is the guy of the two that really jumps out when you watch those games. I mean, Vassell, I, 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 I don't necessarily mind the form because, I mean, he gets the ball so far up. It just looks kind of weird. I mean, he, he shot 42% from three, but it, it's almost like an Andre Iguodala type of jumper where he, he has to kind of load and like spring up through it. And I mean, it works for him, but you could. There's just a lot of room for error when you're when you have that long of a motion. Um, I've seen some Middleton comps for Devin Fussell. I, I really don't like that at all. I, I don't think he has a ton of Middleton in him. I think he's a lot more like springy. You know, Middleton's a lot more crafty. Um, you know, uses the pivot, uses screens a lot more. Like Vassell will just kind of take one dribble and just jump higher than the guy defending him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I could see you know the numbers being similar to Middleton's, but I, I don't I don't think that's really a great comp. Williams honestly reminded me of like DeAndre Ayton. Like he looks, I was shocked that he's listed at six, eight. He looks huge out there. I mean, the, the wingspan is, is right around seven feet, but I, I think he looks even bigger than six, eight. Like he, he looks like he moves, he has the body of a center, but moves a little bit more like a wing. He, you know, my, I, I was sort of thinking uh, like young Marvin Williams with uh, Patrick Williams, um, sure. but just, I think a little yeah, more I mean, physical. Yeah, it's it's the size that that really that really pops for him. And now, like Williams, some of his bad plays, even on defense, look really bad. Like I think he's he's pretty raw. Um, yeah. But if you get like he's a, both of these guys, but Williams specifically, I think team uh, team dependent in terms of how he develops. Like you want him to go to a good organization that knows how to develop guys like this. I uh, really don't want him to end up somewhere where he's kind of getting jerked around and, and goes through like two coaches in four years, that type of thing. I, I think it's really important for him to get into a good system. Yeah, I, I think you mocked him in, in our forthcoming mock draft to San Antonio, right? I I put Precious Achua to San Antonio. Oh, Precious Achua. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about him then. He's he's in this category as well. Uh, I I refer to him as the reverse Montrez Harrell. And, I like that. In that he's great defensively uh almost a zero offensively unless he's right at the rim you know he's he's really good at just kind of catching gathering and dunking but doesn't offer you a whole lot other than that i mean he's if you if you see him putting it on the floor you just know it's not going to end well 
Um, but the energy is there. He's, he's even a better athlete, I think, than Montrez Harrell. And he's a couple inches taller and a little bit longer as well. So I, I think he's a guy that, especially if he makes it past, you know, the late lottery, um, I wouldn't even be surprised if we see some really good teams trying to trade up to grab him because I, I think it's pretty easy to view him as somebody, maybe not right away, but in year two and year three, who ends up being a really, really important you know, defensive specialist type of player for, for a great team in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I mean, I like him more than Obi Toppin um, among those kind of secondary. Zero between the legs, <laughs> Uh You know, compare Precious Achua when he's about to turn 23 to um, where Obi Toppin is now, and I, I think that that'll hold up all right. Like, But he's another guy. Like, I mocked him to San Antonio because, to me, if I'm San Antonio, I know I'm not going to play this guy heavy minutes at all as a rookie and maybe not at all as a sophomore. Like, I'm going to make him earn the minutes, but he has such a high ceiling because of the defense. Like, he can get switched on to smaller players and hold his own. He can play the four or the five on on offense. And I think he will be able to stretch a little bit uh, in a few years. Like, you know, he he considers himself more of an on-ball, behind the three-point line type of player than, than he actually is. But you know, I think the shot can get to the point where he can at least stretch from the corners and the athleticism you mentioned, like, you know, kind of when in doubt, um, <laughs> who, who are the most athletic guys? Like he's one of the most athletic guys in this class. Uh, the energy level, like you mentioned, like that's huge mm-hmm. to me that, that he was really kind of giving it his all on both ends of the court. Um, so if he lands in the right situation, I think in a year or two, he could be, uh, really, really solid two-way player, but defense first, as you mentioned. But like, kind of, you know, in fantasy, he's the type of guy where I want to hold for a couple of years because he could be one of those rare guys that gets you over a block and over a steal per game. Yeah, he's listed at six nine with a seven two wingspan, which is really, really good. I I, I thought he was closer to like six seven. Um, and sixty percent free throw, not honestly as bad as I would have guessed. That's that's <laughs> like a foundational. Like that's, that's, he's a he's a markedly better free throw shooter than Abdija. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, Avdija. Just people people look at like, oh, like white European guy. Like, because of Luka Doncic, like all the people that got burned on on not being high enough on Luka. It's like, oh, he'll be able to shoot. Like, I don't think he's going to be able to shoot. I don't think so. Which is a kind of bucking the trend of the, of the white Euro wing. Yeah. All right, Aaron Naismith at Vanderbilt. He's the guy who gives me more Chris Middleton vibes. Um, and, and I think he's a little more, more fluid of an athlete. I mean, Middleton is always just, he's just very subtle, always has been that way, you know, not going to wow you athletically, just, just kind of uses his craftiness. Naismith has that shooting ability and that spot up ability, but you watch the film on him and he's, you know, running baseline to baseline. If somebody's driving right, he's shifting to the corner. Like he's, he just knows where to position himself to get a great look. And I mean, the three point shooting with him, a lot of these guys were, were very good three point shooters. It's, it's overwhelming with him. I and mean, he was 52% from three and, and it's not an Obi Toppin situation where, you know, it, it's dramatically high one year, a little bit lower the next year, you know, the volume's not there. Like he kind of profiles as that, I wouldn't say Kyle Korver type, but you know, he's, he is a shooter first and foremost. And for a player who, you know, kind of makes his bones, in one specific area to, to be that efficient, I think is pretty head turning. Yeah. He honestly, he's the third 
guy on my board. <laughs> and I'm surprised that he hasn't gotten more helium as the draft gets closer and people start to kind of pick these guys apart because I don't really see how you pick Neesmith apart. He has really everything you want in a modern NBA wing. Like, he, as you said, the, the shot's there. It's, it's so relieving just to be able to take a guy where you're, you're not worried about the shot at all. And then you look at everything else he does. He can guard twos. He can guard threes. Uh, I, you know, he even kind of evolved a little bit as a, you know, when he, when he splits kind of a, a, a double team or, or attacks a closeout, he can set up his teammates, he can finish. Like, I think, I don't, I don't view him as ever, ever being a guy that is doing a ton with the ball in his hands, but I think he's capable, you know, like we, we never really see like a guy like Danny Green ever put the ball on the ground and do anything. I think Neesmith could get to the point where he can you know, attack the rim and set someone up or attack the rim and, and pass it back out, um, you know, work in the mid-range a little bit. I think he's capable of doing that. So, you know, that kind of tells you a little bit about this class that I have, uh, you know, a, a supporting piece third on my board, but I'm just so confident in him getting there and him being able to help any team in the league and being able to play as deep into the playoffs as your team goes. Like, I just don't see any weaknesses there um, mm-hmm. that would, that would scare me away that, that some of these other guys have. So yeah, I think Neesmith is really a guy where I'm trying to trade up to whatever spot in the draft. I think I have to get to, to, to land him. So like, yes, getting that, getting that eight pick, getting that nine pick, something like that. And, and just taking him that, that'd be what I'd be trying to do if I was, right. if I was sitting in the team. Right. So I understand why you would put him, third on your board that doesn't mean that you think the charlotte hornets should take aaron neesmith right i mean it would it would make very little sense for a team like that well but i would take him over i would take him over uh anthony edwards like if if ball and wiseman are gone i would happily take him over anthony edwards i don't know i I think there's just enough of a chance that edwards turns out that if i'm charlotte i don't i'm i mean aaron having aaron neesmith is all well and good but i don't know where that gets me i think it's more likely that neesmith um becomes a top 50 player in the league than than Edwards. I think I would agree with you on that, but I don't think it's very likely that he climbs higher than like 48. I know, but you can't just make a franchise player appear out of thin air just because that's what you need. Like, like if it's not, well, I think there, you, have to, you have to try at it though. I don't know. I, I think that's, if you're Charlotte, like what, I mean, having Neesmith is, is awesome. That would be a great piece. I just don't think, I don't think that's how they're thinking. I think they think, you know, we have a couple of okay pieces. We need to get that piece. Well, and even I, if agree only that that's, a- I agree that that's not how they're thinking, but I think that's how they should be thinking because I don't think if Ball and Wiseman are gone, I just don't think that player's yeah. there for them. I think any any good team or relatively good team, like you said, should be trading up to get Neesmith. I, I think anywhere after like the top eight would make sense. Top seven. What, what does Detroit pick? I think Detroit picks seventh. Knicks yeah. pick eighth. Yeah, I think after eight is where you could you could justifiably right. make that deal. I mean, like imagine imagine him on the Lakers or the Clip, like any of those type of teams. Like this is a plug and play situation. Six 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 ten wingspan, like we said, fifty two percent from three, one and a half steals. I mean, there's just there really aren't a lot of weaknesses, and I, I don't think you look at some of the comps you mentioned, uh, Danny Green. Yeah, I've seen I've seen Dale Ellis. I've seen Black Kyle Korver. I, I think he's a little more than that. You know, I, yeah. I think he can be there. You know what? It reminded me of a little bit is Tyler Hero in some ways where he's not, you know, he's not going to be breaking guys down and getting to the rim in the same way Hero was. But it's like with Kyle Korver, if he doesn't have a wide open three, he's not giving you anything. Like 
he can at least put it on the ground and and get into a pull up or take one dribble and step back. You know, there's there's more versatility than just being a shooting specialist. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he'd be. I think he'd be a good fit in Phoenix at 10, even. Like, I mean, they, yeah. they could really just put a ton of shooting out there. Um, yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, kind of maybe, I think one of those, that, that gives them the ability to, to part ways with Kelly Oubre, if need be, as well. And and I mocked him to the Pelicans at 13, which I think is not only realistic, but an awesome fit there. Uh, I mean, you need as much shooting as you can get next to Zion. Um, yeah, I mean, I think... This draft, part of the fun of of just watching this draft uh, unfold is just, like, I think people are just assuming everyone's going to kind of go where they're getting mocked, and I don't think that's going to be the case. Like, I think by pick five or by pick six, someone that wasn't mocked inside a single top ten is going to be off the board. Yeah, I I think that's extremely plausible and then phoenix might be that team you know they, i mean even the cam johnson pick last year i think he was he probably went 15 spots higher than most people expected uh let's get into tyrell terry who is arguably the most fun prospect to evaluate in this draft uh especially given the uncertainty at the top there's some brandon jennings vibes there's some cj mccollum there's you know name any exciting high scoring small guard in college basketball i'll, I'll even throw salim stoudemire out there um but at the same time, I mean, you know, he's, he's a player that I think has benefited from the long layoff between the end of the college season and, and the start of draft season now, uh, you know, reportedly has grown an inch in that time, has added weight. Um, a really, really exciting player and, and a guy that I think, you know, playing out on the West Coast at Stanford in a weird college basketball season that ended early. I don't think a lot of people got to see him, but I mean, man, it, I don't know what the ultimate upside is, but you know, pound for pound, one of the most skilled players in the draft pretty easily. Yeah, uh, love him. I mean, I think this is one of those classic cases where I think some NBA teams maybe might be focusing too much on what he what he can't do. Like you're mm-hmm. you're not going to get a perfect player in the the late lottery or the middle of the first round. Uh, but what he can do is, is pretty unassailable. I mean, I think he's got the like. Neesmith might be the best um, current shooter in the class, but I think Terry has the highest sort of shooting ceiling. Like if anyone from this class is going to become a guy where they can just bomb off the dribble from like 38 feet, I think it's going to be Terry. And that's just what that does to an offense is obviously just, just massive uh, creating that much space. Um, and I think he's improving as a as a ball handler and a distributor, uh, kind of as you alluded to. And so he's going to have to do that. Like his handle is going to have to be really tight for him to be more than sort of a JJ Redick type of guy, at least early in his career. But um, you know, usually when we look back, at least the last couple of years in drafts, and say, "Oh, that guy should have gone higher. Why didn't that go, guy go higher?" The one thing they all have in common is they're really good shooters. And that, that, that one skill was a little underrated on draft day. And I think mm-hmm. Terry Terry's ability to do that, I mean, 89% from the free throw line, like, you know, you, you can feel pretty good about him being a 40% three-point yep. shooter from day one, I think. So, um, you know, if you, if you take him, like, I think I mocked him to Philly. Like, I think that would be a, a good pick for them. I, I think they might be maybe more – uh, impatient on sort of when they're trying to win uh, than to take Terry there. But, um, you know, you kind of have him be in that sort of Tyler Hero role, um, not the bubble Tyler Hero, but sort of regular season Tyler Hero, 
that could be his role as a rookie, and then maybe second, third year, he gets to do more stuff on the ball with the, the first unit. Where does he fit position-wise long-term? Yeah, the, the size implies that he's a point guard, um, but he, he is more of a ball-dominant, you know, shoot first, pass second type of player. Not that he can't pass, but, you know, much more of a shooter, and, and especially like a pull-up one-on-one type of shooter. I do like the Harold comp in that regard. I mean, can you play him? As a two, does he have to come off the bench and in, in kind of a future Lou Williams type of role? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just tough to say. I mean, it depends just how um, how deadly he can be off the dribble, creating his own shot. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Steph Curry, like that type of mold is obviously, you know, even if you're just like 80% of Steph Curry, like that's, that's a pretty good player. Um, but, I mean, he, he won't be able to guard NBA 2s at all, and he probably won't be able to guard NBA 1s very well yeah. either. So you're going to you're gonna be trying to hide him on defense uh, nonstop. I mean, mm-hmm. team context will be important with him because he, he, it's tough to envision him being on a winning team unless he's the only defensive weak spot on that team. Um, so I think that, that it's just going to be really interesting to see where he goes. But... It could be, you know, early in his career, he's just doing a lot of stuff off ball. And then by year three, he's really capable of doing stuff on ball. I'm not sure how it's going to go, but um, I just think it's a it's a really appealing uh, skill set kind of in the middle of the first round. Yeah. And he's a guy who's risen up quite a bit over these last few weeks. And and another guy, you know, like you mentioned, who it wouldn't it wouldn't be all that shocking if somebody took him at like nine. You know, and some boards will no. see him. Some some boards will see him mocked. You know, late first, even early second. Um, and, and I think people are going to start talking themselves more into him. Let's just run quickly through a few guys that we haven't hit on. Uh, starting with R.J. Hampton, who you'll typically see mid first round, late lottery, um, in a lot of mock drafts. I, I think I ended up mocking him at fourteen to Boston, uh, which is which has picked up some momentum. I think that would be a, a fun fit there. Obviously, a good organization to develop him. A ton of talent, a guy who was dominant at the high school level, but like a lot of these guys who end up foregoing college and playing overseas, it was just clear early on that it really just wasn't working out for him. There were some minor injuries that limited him, but um, it, it's pretty hard to look into his numbers at you know playing in New Zealand and read too far into those. They're not good at all, but I mean, the skill set is there. He's got great size. Um, at the same time, I could kind of see this going the Dante Exum route if he's not developed properly. Yeah, I I think he's got to go mid first round. I think he's just too, you know, you can dream on him being a pick and roll, um, you know, really dynamic pick and roll threat. I mean, I know he's been working on his three point shot a lot with Mike Miller. Um, If he can, you know, if he can develop into like a 37% three point shooter, he could just be really dynamic in the pick and roll because he's already kind of capable of just blowing by guys with a head of steam and finishing, you know, really good athlete, one of the fastest guys in this draft. So there's some stuff to work with there, but yeah, I mean, if, if the shot doesn't come and there's a chance it just doesn't like, I mean, if he's only like a 31% three point shooter, I mean, maybe he's like an eighth or ninth man, but I mean, the the floor is pretty low with Hampton, but I think just that chance of getting a point guard with his athleticism and his size, uh, it's, it's enticing, but 
it's probably not for most teams. Like I think just bringing him in and developing him over the next couple of years, it's, it's definitely going to be a process that not a lot of coaches are going to be on board for, but um, you look at the rest of the class, like I'd, I'd rather just roll the dice on him than take one of these sort of lower down big men that we haven't touched on yet. And just knowing that that guy's backup center mm-hmm. in the NBA, I'd rather just take a big swing on Hampton. Sadiq Bay at Villanova. Uh, I, I think th- he takes the cake as my non-Obi Toppin favorite player in the class. I-, I told you this reminds me a lot of my past infatuation with Ben Bentel from Providence, who I honestly don't even know if he <laughs> ended up playing an NBA minute. I think he was a second-round pick of the Celtics. Uh, kind of similar players in some way. Just a, a big-bodied wing, a guy who already has a look of an NBA player, really nice-looking jump shot. The numbers at Villanova were really good. Um you actually ended up taking him and swiping him from me in our mock that, that again, will be up on the site on Thursday morning. There's a lot to like with Sadiq Bay. What are the concerns for you, if any? Yeah, I, I get some tweener vibes from him. Um, yeah. Where I just, he, he doesn't have NBA caliber uh, athleticism or explosion, especially for the positions that he's going to be tasked with guarding. And I know he kind of gets, you know, it's switchable because you look at the size and you look at what he did in college where he could guard threes and fours. Uh, but I think that that athleticism jump from college to the NBA might make it tough for him. Uh, like, I, I think size and, and strength-wise, there's going to be some fours that are going to be able to move him around. And, I mean, I don't think he's ready to to guard any of the, the big-time wings in, in the NBA. Um so I, I'm not really sure what to do with him. I, to me, he's, he's outside the lottery, but I think he's the type of player that some team is going to talk themselves into inside the top 20 because they're going to be like, well, you know, he's plug and play. Like, like I, I mocked him to the Timberwolves because I could see the Timberwolves taking him there where they're like, oh, he fits well next to Conte Towns. Is, mm-hmm. is there a power forward going forward? Um, but I, I see him more as kind of like a seventh man long term um so i'm a little lower on him i think he'll be a rotation player but uh i don't think he's going to be the type of versatile defender in the nba that he was in college yeah i I worry a little bit about the defense and that's that's usually seen as a plus with him and i I think he'll be a fine defender but you know some of the cops are like damari carroll jay crowder like i don't i don't think he's ever going to be a peak jay crowder defender i I think he's a much better shooter and a better offensive player than those guys so i would lean more toward I don't, it's tough to come like I don't know like a one of like one of the Morris brothers <laughs> yeah yeah no I mean I, I think he I think he could be about as good a shoot I think he's actually about as good a shooter as Jay Crowder like I don't think he's necessarily better than Jay Crowder at, at shooting threes but not the type of athlete that young Jay Crowder was I mean he's a smart player so I think he's I don't think he's going to be a terrible defender mm. but I think people are hyping him up as this versatile switchy defender and I just picture him on NBA threes or on NBA fours. And I don't really see that. I, I just think he's going to be a guy that kind of holds his own against second unit players and hits open threes and good yeah. locker room guy. I mean, he's, he's going to know his role and everything like that. So I think he's definitely a first rounder, but um, not my favorite of the sort of three and D guys in this range. I, if he can become Harrison Barnes, I think like current day Harrison Barnes, that would be fine with me. Yeah. I think that look, if you could draft, current day Harrison Barnes in this draft I would take him like in the top 10 <laughs> yeah without that contract um all right where else do you want to go 
Who have we not touched on? Um, let's see. How about um, – I mean, we kind of touched on Okongu a little bit. I mean, I, I yeah. think – I think he's just kind of a, an okay starting center. I don't think he's uh, like, I think the people, I don't know where this Bam out of bio comp started, but I've heard it from multiple people just because of the bodies and like Bam out of bio is quickly entering that sort of Draymond green range of guys. You shouldn't cop players to just because they have similar size and mm-hmm. similar weaknesses coming out of college. Like I, I just don't see him as that type of dynamic uh, offensive hub ever. And um I don't think he's going to be as good of a switching defender as Van is. Um, so, but I, but I think he's fine. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Josh Green or Des Bain. I'll talk about Green. I'll let you talk about Bain. Let's start okay. with Bain. Uh, yeah, I mean he's a four-year player, and yet he's shooting up boards, which is kind of hilarious. Like I think he was. Like, I think every NBA team's uh, advanced metrics sort of scouting wing decided around the same time uh, during the quarantine period that this was a guy that we have to uh, learn more about. I think he said, I was watching a combine interview he did, and he was like the first interview for about half of the 20 some teams he spoke to because they all just wanted to kind of figure out more about him as the the draft got closer and they saw what he did as a senior. I I think he's uh, absolutely plug and play like right away. And I think that that's what appeals to so many of these teams where they're just like, we're not trying to hit a home run with this pick. We just want a rotation player. And I think that's what he is. I think he's going to hit threes. I think he can guard twos and threes and uh, maybe even hold his own against some ones. Um, He's a really good passer. Uh, if you do a search on like YouTube of Desbane passing, like that he's he's like a, a primary ball handler type of passer when he wants to be. He wasn't really used that way a ton at TCU, but um, I don't see really a ton of flaws with him either. Uh, he's in my top ten. I don't see him being a star, but I think he can be a starter on a pretty solid team in a few years. Yeah, I mean, I could see him as this draft like Josh Hart. You know, maybe a little bit better playmaker, a little bit better um, ball handler. You know, Josh Hart kind of quickly became a, a spot-up guy in the NBA. I, I think Bain has a little bit more than that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's the type of guy that can be a spot-up guy with the starters and could maybe even be the ball handler with the second unit at times. Yeah. So I, like, I think sort of different from Malcolm Brogdon. I don't, I don't think he's ever going to be the type of guy that Brogdon is when it comes to getting to the rim. But I could see him being um, the type of shooter that Brogdon is, the type of secondary playmaker that, that Brogdon is. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I just I think he's a guy that's going to come off the board much earlier than people are expecting. Uh, I will say to it, and it pains me to note this, he is younger than a certain Dayton forward who's being projected in the top five. He's a solid three <laughs> months younger. So we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, Josh Green at Arizona. I'm surprised you didn't want to. You, you haven't had a lot to say about the cats. We haven't even brought up Nico Mannion, who I don't think I, we need to talk about on this pod. Uh, the thing I love most about Josh Green is the defense, uh, both the tools and the effort. Um, so I think that's yeah, he's, he's a good enough shooter that he'll be able to stay in your rotation, and I think he'll be able to guard some of the best shooting guards in the league. Yeah, great shooter. 
Uh, I, I, Eric Gordon is who he reminded me of uh, a little bit of Tyler Hero as well. Uh, I know I mentioned that with with Neesmith, but I, I think Green is a little more dynamic with the ball. You know, not as not as great of a spot up shooter, but a, a better athlete, stronger, more athletic, can get to the rim. Um, that's a pretty impressive, you know, finishes through traffic type of plays. Um, and just a really, really good looking jump shot too, from a mechanical perspective. Um, I, I think he, you know, you hear like Gary Harris with him. I think that seems pretty realistic. That type of player, maybe not current Gary Harris, but when Gary Harris was good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you might be a little higher on him offensively. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I think he's more of kind of guard the other team's best wing or best, you know, six, four to six, eight type of player hit your open threes and, and that'll be good. Yeah. Long wingspan too. almost six eleven wingspan uh, on a six, six guard. Uh, let's finish out with a couple guard prospects and then we'll get out of here. Tyrese Maxey and Cole Anthony, two very different players, uh, similar size players, uh, both played at, at blue blood schools, Maxey at Kentucky, Cole Anthony, uh, a relatively underwhelming year at UNC. You and I were going back and forth on Anthony yesterday via Slack I, the more I think about it, I think I'm out. If I have to, if it has to be one or the other, I think I'm out on Anthony. I, I want him to be good. I really liked watching him as a prospect. It was kind of disappointing to see how that year turned out at North Carolina, but I I just didn't really see it with him. Yeah, I think he's kind of a chucker. Uh, I'm afraid so. <laughs> I, you know, he's there's like sort of a I don't know if it's like a two percent chance or or what, but there are some flashes of, you know, creating your own super deep three and, and hitting it. And, and he's, he can be athletic when he drives at times. Um, so maybe you could really squint and, and see a, a primary ball handler who really stretches the floor. But I think, um, I think more likely we're kind of looking at like an Eddie house type of role uh, for him long-term. And I was hoping I, he wouldn't use the E word. yeah i mean just and not one of those guys um like the type of player that i don't want to draft is a guy who's been super hyped in aau and and kind of come up through that whole process as just the guy the stud but his nba role is not going to be anything like that but he might be the last person to realize that like Mm -hmm. i hate those types of prospects because you just can't really teach them anything because you're trying to tell them you're a supporting player, but in their mind, they're still like the absolute best player in their class. They're going to prove everyone wrong. They're going to make a bunch of all-star teams. Like I don't really want to bring that player in. I think you should bring up the comp that you, that you threw out yesterday for Cole Anthony. Oh man. I can't even remember what it was. Uh, I think uh, a certain point guard from Coney Island Oh, yeah, Sebastian Telfair. Um, I think there's a decent chance he's Sebastian Telfair. (laughs) (laughs) 2.0. I will say that in in Cole Anthony's defense, he's a very good athlete, you know, despite being undersized. And he's listed at 6'3". I think he looks way smaller out there. Like He he, he looks like he's like barely six feet, but he's listed at 6'3". So the size is allegedly there. The numbers weren't that bad. At North Carolina, I mean, it was almost 20 points a game, six rebounds, four assists. And he was playing on a terrible team that did not play an NBA style at all, a very college basketball type of team. So I think there is a good chance that he looks a lot better in an NBA type of system. But 
I'm with you. I, I think, especially if he's going to be drafted in like the 15 to 30 range, you're not going to go anywhere where they're just going to hand you the keys. And I think for a player like him, it, it could be really difficult to try to learn on the fly and kind of have to adapt your game out of always being the guy who's, you know, both scoring and setting up everybody. That's not what he's going to be asked to do, especially early on. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, maybe, maybe by the time he's on his second team or something like that, he could be ready for like a Patty Mills type of role. But um, yeah, I think yeah. he's going to be uh, sort of struggling to prove that he's still the player that people thought he was 18 months ago. And it, it might take right. a couple of years for that to get out of the system. All right, let's finish out with Maxi. Uh, similar size. He's also 6'3", a little bit longer wingspan, 6'6", compared to about 6'5", for, for Cole Anthony. Both are freshmen. Uh, Maxi, though, you look at it as more of a defender. Uh, more, I, wouldn't, I, don't, I think it's underselling him to call him a hustle player. Like I, I, He's not Patrick Beverly. You know, he's a little bit more skilled than that, certainly offensively, but uh, not as pure of a point guard as we've seen some of these guys who've come through Kentucky over the last few years. Uh, with that said, I, I think for a guy who you're looking at maybe in the back end of the first round, I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I think where with Anthony, you worry about how he fits with an NBA team, especially a good NBA team. Whereas with Maxi, I think he's the type of guy that at least projects to fit on pretty much any roster. Is he is he a one or a two to you? Mm. Like, I think I, he... I think I think size wise, positionally, he's a one. I, I kind of like the the Halliburton conversation. You know, he he's not the guy you necessarily want running your offense. I think you have to have somebody else, at least one other guy out there who's a significantly better playmaker or scorer than him. You know, I, I think he can he can fill that Patrick Beverly type of role. Like Patrick Beverly is nominally a point guard, but he's not the guy who's out there running. You know, you're not running your offense through him. I think his ticket to being an NBA starter is to kind of be a Avery Bradley type, um, but he would have to really just focus on the defensive side of things to pull that off. I just don't see the offensive tools for him to be a starter. Otherwise, like he's a scoring guard who isn't that great at scoring. And, yeah. you know, so maybe, maybe he comes off the bench for you and that's fine. But I really think, He's going to have to ride that defense and really focus on that end of the court if he wants to be uh, a starter. And so I, I think he's a first-round guy, but he's just not a guy that I'm excited to take in the first round. I, I think that's fair. I, I think I would be excited to add him to my roster. I wouldn't. I don't even know if I would say I, I hope this guy's a starter someday. You know, I think if I'm right. grabbing him at like 24, and it's like yeah. he just becomes he just becomes like an Alex Caruso type for me. I think that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he it's not amazing at any one thing. And yeah, so I, I think if you go in knowing that maybe he's your seventh man in a year or two, that's I think that's fine. Yeah. All right. Any other guys that you've been dying to talk about that we missed? I know we, we didn't get to Jamias Ramsey. Um, yeah, let's talk about Jamias Ramsey really quick. Um, All right, go for it. I'm, I'm really proud of my high-end comp on him, which is Gilbert Arenas. I think that there's... Yeah. Like he has, he has the mindset of a dominant scoring guard, and I think he has the handle and a chance for the jumper to to maybe get there. Um, the thing for me on him is like I don't I don't understand why he 
was so sort of apathetic at times on the defensive end. Like he has the tools and the the strength and the toughness on offense that you would think would translate into him being a guy that could really shut guys down, especially in college at the one or the two on, on the defensive end. But uh, he's going to have to bring that in the NBA because he's not going to be that primary playmaker as a rookie or as a second year player. He's going to have to earn his minutes uh, with defense uh, to get into the second unit early on. But I think if I'm just swinging for the fences, you know, kind of in that same sort of RJ Hampton zone of, you know, maybe this doesn't work out at all, but at least we're giving ourselves a shot at, at really hitting here on a, on a guy that could be a, a oversized um, primary ball handler. I just think his um, offensive ability to, to get his own shot, to get into the paint. Uh, I am a little bit worried about the free throw percentage, but the three point percentage was, was promising and he was taking some tough looks um, so he's a guy that, yeah, middle of the first round, if, if guys like Neesmith and Bain are off the board and, and Tyrell Terry's off the board, I, I think I'd rather take Jamias Ramsey than, you know, Jalen Smith or whoever the best big man is. Yeah, it, it's not a great big man class. That's for sure. And then when you, when you start getting into the back half of the first round, you know, it's, you, you start to kind of almost get into like some specialist <clears throat> type of big men. You know, think of like a Daniel Oturu, who's a little bit more of like a classic big man. You know, there's not not a ton of talent, uh, you know, in terms well, of like true fours well, and fives. Like once you get past the guys that you can legitimately dream on being like a top 15 center, mm-hmm. like I'm just not taking those guys till the second round. Right. Like the right. Um, like Isaiah Stewart, like I think Isaiah Stewart's going to be a good backup big man in the NBA for a long yeah. time but it's just you don't use a first-round pick on a guy like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I need to do more more studying on Ramsey. I mean, I, mean, I watched a few of his games live th- uh, this past season, but, I mean, that was so long ago at this point. He is physically pretty impressive. I mean, he is. he looks like he has a, like, middle linebacker, strong safety almost type of body uh, for a kid who's, who's only a freshman. But, like you said, the free throw percentage uh, is is an issue, but he did shoot 43% from three. So if you kind of project out and meet in the middle – if he can shoot 38% from three and put in any amount of effort on the defensive end, I mean, I, I think you have yourself a pretty intriguing prospect. Yeah, exactly. You just, you, you know that it might not work out, but you know, you yeah. swing for the fences in the middle of the first round. If, if you're a team that has a pretty crowded depth chart and you just want to hit a home run. Yeah. Honestly, outside of the top few teams, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of, looking back and saying like, well, I, I just cannot believe that this team didn't take this guy. You know, like I, I don't, I think almost everybody's going to get a pass just because of how weird the season's been, how weird the year has been. And then this class on top of it, like, I, I just don't see there being a lot of, um, you know, looking back and, and kind of hand wringing and, and us making fun of GMs a year from now. Yeah. I mean, I might make fun of, I, I feel like I'm going to make fun of the Timberwolves. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I shouldn't for, have said that. I, I think they're going to do something that requires making fun of. Uh, but like, if someone takes Abdia like second or third, like I think that's going to look pretty laughable in a couple mm-hmm. years. I think like an Anthony Edwards pick is going to look bad to me in a couple years. But no one's going to be like, you know, plenty of people think he should go top three, so it's not going to be that laughable uh, travesty. But right. um, I just think it's. It's so tough. Like if you're a Timberwolves fan, you're you're in such a tough spot 
um, for having the number one overall pick, like yeah. they might, I wouldn't be surprised if they think James Wiseman's the best prospect and there's just nothing they can do about it. Like I, I think right. it, one of the more fascinating things to me, like I'd love to ask, uh, you know, a really smart coach or, or something like that. Like, is there a way that you could make Carl Anthony Towns and James Wiseman work together in today's NBA? Like, uh, to me, that's something that I'd love to. I'd love to see, uh, you know, a really smart coach try to figure that out. But I don't think the Timberwolves have that smart coach or that sort of uh, daring front office. Like I, I, I just think it's going to be um, Timberwolves fans are going to look back on this class. There's obviously going to be someone that they didn't take with that first pick who would have helped them a lot in hindsight, and it's just right. going to be kind of difficult. Yeah, I think it's the rare draft where you you would rather have the second or the third pick. Than the first pick, I really do, and part of it is just a value equation where you like right. there's just not you're just not able to get what you normally would for the number one pick. Yeah, I think one of the one of the best places to be in this draft to be is like the the eight to twelve range, um, yeah. because you kind of get you're going to get your pick of those sort of second tier uh, yes. help pieces, and then the the contracts that are attached to these these pick yes. slots matter too. Like you're going to have guys who. Um, probably are going to be negative value contracts on their rookie deal that go in the top five that might not be given their third year player option. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that that's a distinct possibility. Yeah. That's actually, that's a, a really, really good point um, in terms of motivation to potentially move down. You know, if you, if you don't love anyone, I mean, I, in my mind, I still think of like, Oh, rookies make like 4 million a year. Like, no, if when you get to that third and fourth year, I mean, you're North of 10 million, which, which ends mm-hmm. up being really significant for a lot of these teams. All right, man. This was great. We'll do another one of these maybe next week, uh, maybe one a week uh, as the draft approaches, uh, just kind of tracking any changes uh, in prospect status. Keep an eye out for that mock draft. That'll be up on the site on Thursday. Uh, We'll continue to roll out draft content as we get closer to November 18th. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.